Ontology, the Waystation of Red Pill Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Eric, Jenny, Mia, and many other bots Season 2 Lords and Wanderers Episode 3 A Discussion on the Speech A World Lacking in Lords William, I think many people got to know you because of your speech, a world lacking in lords. So let's talk about landlords and wanderers. Is there a way for these two to transform into each other? A responsible landlord as a chief stakeholder in a community can become a rootless wanderer, just as a peasant can turn into a vagabond. Stripped of his land, what is left of the landed gentry? His original social relations are gone, the energy and resources restored in his social relations are either lost or transferred to other uses. But one thing is left. His knowledge and also skills, which are still greater and better than that of the general public. Hence his rational choice is to become a wanderer instead. Many of the wanderers were former landed gentry, and the uprooted landed gentry are most likely to become wanderers just as peasants tend to become vagabonds. If you drive a peasant off his original land, he has to go somewhere else, and he becomes a drifting tramp. He starts to plunder peasants in other places and drives others out of their homes who would become vagabonds too. This process develops like a contagious disease, and finally it could only be contained by extreme cruelty. Either to kill them all, or let nature take its course and starve them all to death, or allow them to slaughter each other until the last is wiped out. Only when they are all dead can new stability be established, so it is a destructive process. In the attacks on landowners, only a small percentage of them will be physically eliminated, while most of the others will turn into wanderers. These rootless drifters are unlikely to go on to rebuild the landed gentry community, but will assault other landed gentry, destroying all the social, cohesive nucleus, a trend that is very difficult for human beings to contain or reverse, often with sweeping social disasters, caused in this process of disintegration. On the other hand, it is virtually impossible for a deconstructive wanderer to become a constructive landed gentry, and even if there is a possibility, it can only be achieved through generations and after many years of toil. It is basically impossible for an individual to become a cohesive force through his own will and strivings. Releasing energy is relatively easy. By disassembling the molecular structure, you will release a huge amount of energy, by splitting the nucleus of an atom, you will unleash an amount of energy as huge as that of an atomic bomb. It is easy to dismantle structures, but not the other way around these processes are irreversible. Do you mean that a lot of people try to let the wanderers play the role of the landlords? Yes. Okay. Now let's imagine, for example, what does it take for Confucius to become a landlord again? His ancestors used to be aristocratic landlords, but by the time he came to the scene, they had already started to deteriorate to the direction of a wanderer. His importance lies in the uniqueness of the turning point, irreversible and unduplicable. He had no choice. He wanted to imitate the landlords, and the most feasible approach was to recruit a group of disciples to give them lectures, trying his best to act as a community builder. However, this community made up of students was in fact extremely fragile and disorganized. He did his best and all that was within his power. He could have done something worse. He could have been like his peers such as Su Qin and Zhang Yi, who became pure deconstructionists. 
Human translators notes, Su and Zhong were Confucius contemporary diplomats and political activists. Can we consider the Confucius community as a kind of quasi-religious group? He trained these disciples and then dispatched them to various countries to take officialdom and thus become a political force. Yes, but the impact of such an intellectual group is minimal, which means such a group had only a very low level of cohesion and self-sustainability, much lower than the aristocracy to which his ancestors once belonged. Perhaps because after those disciples departed, they ended up betraying their belief or were eliminated in a foreign land. Indeed, this had happened, some students didn't follow their teacher's teachings once they went out, and Confucius could do nothing with them. They slowly became opportunists. You may also say that some still wanted to be builders as much as possible, and the reason why they failed was due to the unfavorable circumstances. Others simply didn't have the same motivation and acted as destructionists from the very beginning. Could we say then, history has witnessed repeated attempts to rebuild the landed gentry, hasn't it? But none of the results was satisfying though. The real process of building up the landed gentry class always started with barbarian invasions, transforming the old barbarian warriors into the new nobility which is more reliable as the outcome of a natural process. When the society has disintegrated and disorganized, trying to reverse this trend by turning the already depleted wanderers into landed gentry is equivalent to reclaiming the desert into farmland, which is not entirely without its effect, but certainly not as fast and easy as deforestation. It is logical and natural to cultivate social binding factors, like landlords, from barbarian feudalism. It's just like cutting down the forest and turning the woodlands into fertile land, though the fertile land will inevitably and gradually deteriorate into deserts. On the contrary, trying to convert the wanderers into landed gentry, just like turning the deserted land back into farmland, even if aided with advanced technology and a lot of effort, will not pay off as well as simply cutting down the forest to develop new lands. How about the landed gentry class in Western world nowadays? What kind of role does a modern corporation play in society? A well-organized corporation is equivalent to a city-state with a constitutional structure that can pass on through generations and can often be traced back very early, even to the 17th century, and after vicissitude of the seasons, the original tradition remains intact albeit in a transformed manner. Such old companies are actually equivalent to an autonomous city-state. But not all capitalist corporations can achieve this. Many financial investment companies, in fact, play the role of corruptors, of disruptors, releasing disruptive energy. Modern companies may operate like bureaucracy, but not necessarily. This is because capitalism still contains a lot of what I would call primordial fertilizing components that are conducive to self-rule and local self-organization. That is because most things are bound to be eliminated by selection, and those that end up being passed on for a long time, more or less contain a certain reasonable organizational structure. Well, Chinese companies according to the standards of the West, are mostly only mafia. And that comparison is not an insult to the Chinese companies, as the mafia are in fact more virtuous cliques in Chinese society. Generally speaking, in any county, members of those mafia gangs are more virtuous than an average official, as the former often have a certain sense of responsibility to his folks, while officials are only wanderers with no sense of attachment or accountability to any community. The question of the landed gentry, in a larger sense, concerns how a country like the United States can now preserve its civilization a little longer as possible.
There is no fixed answer to this question because you cannot be free of inaccuracies in judging contemporary society. Do you mean judgment of the present? Yes. But why is that? I think people would say that someone like Bill Gates is the present-day unifying nucleus and plays a positive role. It is very hard to tell because the determining factor is the genetic diversity of a society and which part of that diversity ends up as the seed of the future and which part is wasted is a mere mortal's attempt to answer God's question. Not to mention that in the 11th century, when the structure of Western society was largely fixed, which of the various religious orders it produced at that time do you think would survive and which would not? From an outsider's point of view, those orders were all chartered by the Holy See and were without exception all highly organized and similar to each other. Yet some among them disappeared without a trace, while others, like St. Dominic's, had a long history. There is no definite answer as to which factor secured longevity. It is a downstream process for the landed gentry to become wanderers. For example, we often read in novels that after a few generations, the offspring of a noble family would end up as artist. What is the ideal choice for a wanderer? There is no optimal choice for a wanderer because all options are based on speculation, and it's hard to say whether one speculation works better or worse than another, because you can hardly find that standard. The best way to put it is that a wanderer is essentially a gambler, for whom the world is a huge casino. What it means to win and what it means to lose may not be clear to him in the end, because his life is like a double agent. You can't figure out which side he is really loyal to, or it may be that you have already committed to this game and can't extricate yourself from it. That is why you can hardly judge. I know there are also some perhaps more naive views, such as, by devoting themselves to NGOs and to social charity, people can also play a role approximately equal to that of a community leader. I don't think there are any fewer politics in these organizations and matters than in other areas. There is also the notion that it seems like the more developed social institutions outside of government control, the more progressive society is, and that this is a sign of social development. This is not a sign of social progress, but it is indeed an indicator of the genetic diversity of society. Besides, it is not so easy to measure the genetic diversity of society. Within a certain time frame, not the absolute amount of social organizations counts, but the rich variety of types of those organizations, which is a reasonable indicator to measure. A large number of social organizations that lack diversity in their types don't make any difference. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative 